Strive righteously in this world as if you will live forever. Strive for the next life as if you will die tomorrow. The Voice of the Cape, Jamadul Awal, 1436. Live from Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape. The Voice of the Cape. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Very good evening. Welcome to this edition of Questions and Answers. I'm Khawa Solomon on 91.3 FM, broadcasting in the Greater Cape Town area, 95.8 in the beautiful mountains of the Borland, and of course across the Atlantic seaboard and 89.9. And if you're listening to us all over the lands and across the seas, you can tell your friends to audio stream on www.vocfm.co.za. Shukran for joining us today. Um, as always, I know everybody looks forward to um, this question and answer edition where uh, Sheikh Ibrahim Moos gives us a detailed answer to your question. So stay tuned every Saturday between 6 and 7. And remember, if you have um, lost time to try and listen to the show, you can download it rather um, and listen to it whenever you can at your leisure. So that's iono.fm, I-O-N-O.fm. All right, so let's get the, the show started. We've got lots of questions. A big shukran, big, big shukran to all those that have been patient in sending their questions. I know that we've got quite a lot, backlog rather, of questions that we try to deal with. So let's keep the intro short and sweet. And assalamu alaikum to you, Sheikh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Sister Hawa, and uh, also to all our listeners of The Voice of the Cape. All right, um, shukran so much to Sheikh for affording us his time and the necessary um, time is also taken out to do uh, the research for your questions. So let's start with the first one, Sheikh. Is it starts with is a man allowed to enter his brother's house in his absence and then call his brother's wife into her bedroom to speak to her about his own marriage problems? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala Rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Of course, if somebody is going to enter his brother's house uh, in his absence, um, uh, while there's no one else around, um, that will pose a problem because uh, we know that you know it's it's always very easy for for shaitan to come in between and to sort of incite us to do certain things that that otherwise we perhaps would not want to do. So uh, thus we find that the Prophet wasallam was quite uh, stern when it came to this issue and he was quite emphatic when he said that in the hadith which is well known لا يخلونا رجل بمرأة فإن شيطان ثالثهما that a person should never be alone with a woman except that shaitan will be the third person. And that is of course if it is in a situation where the doors are closed and no one is, is able to walk in and out and stuff like that. So if this is the case where uh, um, this person wants to speak to his brother's wife, um, you know, he should not do it uh, like that where there's no one around and the doors are closed or in a situation where fitna may, may arise. And I'm sure maybe his intention may be, uh, may be good because uh, at the beginning wanting some advice and obviously maybe he's not ill, he doesn't have any ill intentions. However, uh, we must always safeguard ourselves against uh, things like this uh, because like I said, we often uh, are able to uh, uh, know what we want to do, but we don't know how to control sometimes the emotions and stuff 
stuff like that. So it would be best for him here to obviously speak when other people are around in the house at least. And uh, of course, if his brother is also absent, uh, you know, it's it's always a good thing to inform his brother or to let him know or to at least seek his permission. Because after all, that, that is a haq that a husband have over his wife, that he should know who comes in and out of the house and stuff like that. Um, uh, there's a, a hadith, another hadith where the Prophet ﷺ actually mentioned about uh, you know what a virtuous or a pious wife is like. Uh, and one of the things that he mentioned was is that whenever he's absent from her, when he's not there, she will try her best to preserve his integrity and stuff like that. And so uh, in this case, whilst we, we, we will not obviously say that uh, they have bad intentions, the man may really need some help. And maybe the sister-in-law is somebody that he can speak to or he feels that he can open up to her. Uh, and while that is perhaps understandable, um, one should always safeguard, as I said, and not allow ourselves to be in uh, precarious situations like that where we are unable to, to, to verify or let's say we are unable to, to uh, actually know what the circumstances or the, 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 the outcome will be of such a, a, a gathering or such a meeting. It's best not to obviously do it in that way. The hadith of the Prophet ﷺ is quite clear that, you know, shaitan will always be the third one wanting to entice. And, and we must remember shaitan, you know, Allah speaks in the Quran about um, him being in this position where he will always try to cause problems between husband and wife, you know. يُفَرِّقُونَ بَيْنَ الْمَرْءِ وَزَوْجِهِ He may even, you know, try to whisper in the ears of both these parties, you know, uh, certain things which is which is not good for them. And so it is important that we follow these guidelines. And inshallah, if this person really needs the help, he must do it in the way that suits the laws and the parameters of the sharia. And in that way, Allah Ta'ala will put barakah also in his uh, situation. He will, inshallah, get a solution to whatever difficulty he has with his marriage. Uh, and inshallah, he will see the light at the end of the day because he had followed the laws as is prescribed to us by the Quran and by the Prophet alayhi salatu wassalam. Shukran, Sheikh. Right, the next one goes, Assalamu alaikum. If the husband is deceased, is the stepson's still mahram? Uh, yeah, of course, stepsons here, meaning if it is the, the, the wife's children, the wife's daughters, uh, etc., then of course, yes, uh, the, the, the father is, of course, um, uh, in, in this case, sorry, the question was if the father is deceased, the husband is deceased, yes. so is his sons uh, still, for example, non maritable kind for the stepmother? Mm. And the answer is yes, uh, that will remain, and it's a permanent relationship. I mm. mean, it, it doesn't get undone once uh, a person dies. Uh, Allah says in the Quran, in Surah An-Nisa, that is chapter 4, verse 23 of the Quran, وَرَبَائِبُكُمُ اللَّاتِ فِي حُجُورِكُم مِّن نِسَائِكُمُ اللَّاتِ دَخَلْتُم بِهِن Of course, Allah says that your children of your wife that you get married to, uh, her own children, that if uh, you obviously consummate the marriage with your wife, then automatically her children, her daughters will become haram upon you. And this is a permanent uh, relationship that is haram. And this goes both ways, whether it is the children of uh, the, the, the wife for the stepfather or whether it is the children of the husband for the stepmother. 
um, that is a permanent relationship as long as um, consummation of marriage had taken place. Um, so they can be mahram for each other. They can obviously uh, be casual around each other and stuff like that because it's like their own fa- father and mother, so to say, mm. although it is step. There are obviously other rules which does not apply, such as inheritance and etc., etc. But in terms of not being able to get married to them and being able to at least uh, be in a relaxed mode in front of them uh, in mm. terms of uh, clothing and, and, and all of that, that is allowed because we can imagine if, if you are going to get married to a woman and she's got her own children and there would be that restrictions in terms of how to dress and stuff like mm. that. It would be very awkward in the home. So those things are, of course, allowed. And like I said, this relationship is a permanent one, even if the, 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 the stepfather dies, etc., or the, the actual father dies mm. and the stepmother remains. Yeah, that relationship will continue in that fashion. Shukran, Sheikh. All right, so let's take a short break. When we get back, more of your questions just after this. So- My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, 91.3 FM and 95.8 FM stereo. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back. Shukran for joining us. And this is questions and answers. Let's get straight to your questions. Uh, the next question says, Sheikh, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. A very hairy 16-year-old wants to know if he can shave his legs and body hair. Shukran. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. <coughs> we know that there is uh, certain things which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa had obviously spoken about as far as uh, as this is concerned. Uh, the Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam had obviously recommended that certain unwanted hairs be removed uh, etc. Uh, on a Friday and for Jumu'ah and that we clean ourselves especially of hairs that are like I said um, in the private areas etc. And then we also find that the Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam had also uh, given an instruction with regards to uh, certain uh, types of facial hairs that should not be removed and that is obviously the eyebrows and we've spoken about that uh, quite uh, a number of times before um, so 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 that also is is a specific instruction of the prophet ali but as far as this is concerned if it is uh, here on the legs and on the body or anywhere else there is no i haven't found any restriction as far as that is concerned i haven't found anything that would suggest that there is any objection against that and uh, especially if it is maybe in a way where it's abnormal i mean he's saying as as a very hairy 16 year old he may have you know much more hair than ordinary people would have on his arms on his legs etc um i i didn't find anything that would uh, in the sharia that would actually say that there is an objection against that okay uh, because the those texts that speak about certain areas obviously are very specific and it's to do with the fact that you don't want to uh, necessarily change something the way allah has created you uh, in terms of your beauty and stuff like that whereas these parts of the hair and so on it does not i don't think fall under that category always and uh, sometimes uh, i know between husband and wife for example the husband may uh, prefer for the wife not to you know um, have hairy legs let's say and he could make that request from the wife and that would be permissible actually because uh, it is something that would more reflect her beauty or more reflect uh, you know her, her softness and, and stuff like that and this is something which uh, uh, is allowed between husband and wife also and so since there isn't uh, as far as i know again um, there isn't a text that that actually prohibits this um, i don't uh, see any objection for him doing this um, especially if it is like i said uh, abnormal now, we said even the eyebrows, when we spoke about the eyebrows some time back, we said that normally we shouldn't uh, tamper with the eyebrows because that is how Allah has created us. Um, and uh, Except, again, the ulama would say, except if it is absolutely abnormal. 
if it is eye-catching or if it is going to be something that people are going to stare at, then in that case you could do something about it to make it seem a bit more normal. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But not like people are doing it today, making it extremely thin and, and all those kinds of things. That is something which the Sharia does not uh, sanction or does not allow. There is a hadith uh, pertaining to that. Um, and, and again, this particular part of the question of, of the, the hair on the, on the body and legs and arms and so on, there is nothing as far as I can see that would render it as an objection. Shukran, Sheikh. Right, the next question. Assalamu alaikum. A woman dies without a will. The only family left are, are, are sisters, brothers, one granddaughter, and another grandson out of wedlock um, and from different mothers, Sheikh. Yeah, in this case, of course, I think the first point that one needs to make is uh, the fact that the question is saying that she did not leave a will. Mm. Uh, and this is something which our Muslim community must be very careful about. Um, we should try always that, uh, to, to ensure that our things are in order, especially as far as a will and all of that is concerned. Um, there's a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ had very strongly advised that a person shouldn't even go to bed at night unless he knows that these things are sorted out, you know, mm. because you never know what can happen to you. Uh, this is one hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari where the Prophet sallallahu says, مَا حَقُّ مْرِئٍ مُسْلِمٍ لَهُ شَيْءٌ يُرِيدُ أَنْ يُوصِيَ فِيهِ يَبِيتُ لَيْلَتَيْنِ إِلَّا وَوَصِيَّتُهُ مَكْتُوبَةٌ عِنْدَهُ It is not befitting for a Muslim that wants to make a wasiya or a uh, bequest to someone, he should not go and sleep for two consecutive nights except that his wasiya must be written down. You know, you must make sure that these things are in order because uh, it, it just makes it easier when a person leaves that the heirs exactly knows what should be done, etc. Mm. There's no confusion, there's no argumentation and stuff like that. Um, so that is the first point. We need to be very, very particular and meticulous as far as this is concerned. And I know we often only do it when we travel. When we go on Hajj mm. and Umrah, now we decide, okay, we need to do our will. Uh, we should actually be doing it um, and have it ready all the time because it's not only when you go on Hajj and Umrah mm. or any travel that something may happen to you something may easily happen to you while you are asleep and you may not wake up the next morning um so that is the first point. The second point is in terms of our, her now not leaving a will. Of course, from a Sharia point of view, the, the children, the family, they must consult, obviously, a, a, a scholar that can direct them how things should be distributed. And in this case, obviously, the uh, family that you have is sisters and brothers, and they will be the heirs, obviously. Mm. And unfortunately, the granddaughters and grandchildren uh, that are illegitimate, they will not be able to inherit because they don't inherit from uh, family members uh, that have uh, that don't have a Sharia relationship with. Okay, but if uh, let's say now again, look at the, how useful it would have been if this person wrote out a will, because if this person wrote out a will, she could have left up to one third for these grandchildren, mm -hmm. even if they are illegitimate, because that is allowed. You can give up to one-third to whatever person you want to give, or to any organization, to a masjid, to a school, mm -hmm. uh, but not more than that. But of course, this must be established on paper, otherwise how else will we know that the person made the wasiya? So if the person did this, this could have happened, but now that the, the will was not actually written down, there is no way that it can be uh, carried out like that. So the illegitimate children or grandchildren obviously will not inherit, but the brothers and sisters, they will obviously get everything. Uh, as far as their state is concerned, obviously the brothers getting a double share and the sisters getting a single share. Okay, shukran, Sheikh. The Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM Serial.
radio station. Your radio station. Our radio station. The voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back. Shukran for joining us and staying with us. We'll be with you right up until 7 o'clock, inshallah. Uh, let's move on to our next questions. And I have to reiterate a big shukran, jazakallah. Thank you for all of those that have been patient because these are questions that were sent through at the end of last month already. So we're trying to get through them as quickly as possible. Um, um, but again, shukran for your patience. It starts with, assalamu alaikum. I'm jealous about... The ex-wife, what should I do? The first wife and my sister-in-law carries over stories to me about what my mother-in-law speaks about me. But now I'm the bad one for staying away and my husband tells me months I haven't been going to my in-laws because I'm the second wife and yet I'm raising his daughter of the first wife. But now my in-laws has been best friends with the ex-wife, I think it is, yeah. And then it ends there. Yeah, um, it's quite a, a number of... Uh, it was about three SMSs that came through. Yes, yes. And it's a number of issues that are all intertwined with each other. Mm. And it uh, seems to be quite a complicated uh, issue. Um, and, and I think um, the, the gist of the question is the jealousy that this person has with the ex-wife. Yes. Because obviously the ex-wife is see- seemingly getting more uh, promotion or getting more face... Yeah, they're so close with the family. ...from the in-laws, yes. Yeah. Uh, more than the second wife, mm. and she feels a bit left out, etc. And so, how does she deal with that? Mm. And yes, of course, the question with regards to not visiting the in-laws because you feel they're speaking behind your back, and so mm. on. Um, I think if I can start there, I think you, you know, you should always, uh, no matter how bad situations become in our lives, we should always do the right thing. Mm. We should never allow the bad that other people do cause to drag us also down to do worse than what they are doing. Mm. So if people are doing uh, bad things towards you, you know, they're talking behind your back, you know, uh, Allah also knows about it. Mm. Um, and, and you should continue to, to show uh, good faith and show good character towards them. Even if it is difficult, show them that you are the better person, mm. right? Show them that you will not go uh, down on their level uh, of, of being rude or being abrupt, etc., etc. Uh, with regards to the question of, of jealousy or, or, or envy, you know, this is something obviously that human beings are always inflicted with. Um, it's a disease of the heart, of course. How does one deal with the issue of hasad and so on? And I feel the best person that I have explained this in quite a bit of detail is uh, the great scholar of the sixth uh, uh, Hijri century, Imam al-Ghazali, rahmatullahi alayhi, and he's one of the giants in Islam. And he's written in his book, Ihya Ulumuddin, uh, sections on various illnesses that is afflicted, uh, that the heart is afflicted with. And he gives, you know, also the advice how to get rid of it, etc. And of course, hasad is one of those things. Being envious or being jealous is one of those things that uh, we are all afflicted with on one level or another. Okay, and I think the first point that he makes is that, of course, if you want to get rid of these feelings, is the first thing is to have knowledge about the bad effects of this. You know, to have the knowledge that how the Sharia has told us about the bad the, the bad effects of hasad. Allah Taala has told us about the bad effects of hasad in the Quran, in the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. For example, if I may just quote one hadith that gives us just a perspective of how bad it is to be jealous on someone else, uh, is that. Uh, the Prophet sallallahu says, Beware of, of envy, beware of jealousy, because it will eat away your good deeds the same way that the fire will eat away the hood. Mm-hmm. You know, and nothing will remain afterwards. In other words, all your good deeds will go if you are envious towards someone else. Uh, in the Quran also, uh, Allah Ta'ala says, for example, uh, that, you know, if you are envious, it's as if you are challenging Allah Ta'ala's hikmah. 
As if you want to say, uh, suggest that you know better by Allah what is good for people. Mm. Now, I can understand that in this situation it is tough because being the second wife, it seems that the first wife or the ex-wife is getting much more prominence than yourself and uh, she may be, uh, be in a much better position with your in-laws and stuff like that. And this may lead to this, obviously, feelings of envy or feelings of jealousy. Why can't you be the one that is liked by everyone? Why can't you? Um, and at the end of the day, like I said, um, you should show good character. You should continue with the good that you are doing and uh, not uh, go, go, you know, and, 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 and do what they are doing. And inshallah, Allah Ta'ala will open their hearts also to see that you are a good person. Allah Ta'ala will allow them to uh, maybe eventually understand that, uh, you know, they've got no reason to speak behind your back, etc., etc., uh, so, so try to, 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 to purify your heart. And if you have these feelings of, of, of enviousness or in, 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 envy or, or jealousy, see that you at all times are reminded in yourself that this is something that doesn't benefit you. Not in the dunya and not in the akhirah. You know, um, in fact, it benefits the one that you are envious uh, about because that person will gain all your good deeds, you mm. know. And, and so try not to do that. And inshallah, keep strong, keep, uh, be, be patient and visit your in-laws, you know, as much as you can, mm. as much as it is possible for you and show good character and, and always show that, you know, uh, you will do whatever pleases Allah first and foremost. You don't care what people say. You don't care what people are going to uh, talk behind your back, but rather your first and foremost goal is to actually do that which is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I think if I can advise you also to read more upon the, the book of Imam al-Ghazali, you know, it's a very valuable book that I can, um, that I can recommend for, for every household to have. And it has been translated into English, you know, as well. It is to be found uh, in our bookstores. The book Ihya Ulumuddin by Imam al-Ghazali, it speaks at length about this issue of hasad, the issue of lying, the issue of uh, uh, pride and arrogance, the, all these illnesses of the heart and how to get rid of it in the best possible way so that is my advice to you if you can consult uh, in reading some of those books as well it will certainly help you uh, a bit more in dealing with the issue that you are experiencing this current moment inshallah inshallah all the best to that wife there uh, next question reads assalamu alaikum sheikh my question is what must i do my husband died there's no will he just left valuable stuff like cars and tools what am I to do? Um, must I sell and give uh, my children share? Please help, Sheikh. Another will question. Yeah, I think it's very similar to the previous one. Yeah. I mean, no will was left, uh, so he doesn't have really maybe money in the bank, etc. But he's got some assets, mm. which obviously is in his name. And yes, all the assets and all the valuables and everything that belonged to him is part of the estate, whether it be cars, whether it be tools, whether it be clothing, whether it be jewelry, whatever he had, which was on his name or what was his possessions, it all forms part of the estate and so everyone must get a share obviously you as a wife will get a certain share and the children must get a share of course uh, and if I can quickly give you the back, back uh, the, the, the breakdown your share will be automatically 12.5% which is one eighth and of course the rest is given to the children so what should you do in terms of now it's all assets should we sell it or how should we go about it mm. of course you all the heirs must come together and decide you know mm. and I think someone must take the lead um, someone that is responsible must, must sort of initiate this call a meeting and say look this is what our father left behind this is what the, uh, you know your daddy left behind and let's see how we can distribute this in a way that is suitable to everyone okay sometimes it is better to sell it and take the cash and then to just give it to, to, to all the heirs otherwise if the heirs all come together let's say and one says look I'll take this tool and then other one says I'll take that tool you know and they're all happy about it 
and there's no qualms about it, then that is also possible. You know, so you don't have to sell it if if all the heirs agree that they're going to take certain things, which is okay for them to take, and they are satisfied with that. Then that is possible. It's not a must that you have to actually sell them and then take the money and distribute it. It's just, I think, an easier option to do that because then you know there will be no because maybe someone will want to take a very expensive thing and the other one will not be able to take an expensive thing and it will be a bit difficult maybe as far as that is concerned mm. so if that is the case then yes surely it will be better to sell those things take the money and then consult with a scholar that knows about inheritance to tell you but the breakdown is basically like I said uh, one eighth for the wife and of course the seven eighths will be split amongst the children where the boys will get a double share to the girls inshallah Shukran. Assalamu alaikum. My daughter has been separated from her husband for eight months already. He doesn't want to give her talaq. The MJC have been have made several appointments with him, which he ignores, and yet they don't want to grant her a fasakh. And he still fails to pay um, nafaqa um, to her and still owes her dowry. Please cal- clarify not sleeping with your wife for a long period um, of time, Sheikh. Yeah, um, yeah. The the issue of not sleeping with uh, your wife or not being intimate with her for a certain period of time, um, this is not equivalent to a divorce per mm. se. Okay, divorce can only be affected if the channels are followed for divorce or for separation if it is done by a judiciary. So the mere fact that somebody is not intimate with his wife or has not been sleeping with his wife for a long time, that does not automatically mean that they will be divorced. Uh, there is, I think, maybe a confusion on another issue that is to be found in our Sharia. There is something which is called Ila. Ila, and it is mentioned in the Quran in Surah Al-Baqarah. Just in a nutshell, quickly, what is Ila? Ila is when a husband actually makes an oath not to sleep with his wife. He actually swears an oath to say, I swear by Allah that I will not sleep with you or be intimate with you for at least four months. You know, the period that is given in the Quran is a minimal of four months. So if a person does that, what is the consequences of that? Okay. The consequences is that if he, he has sworn an oath, and obviously he must be able to, uh, you know, do, do whatever it's going to take to retract that oath, right? And if he retracts the oath, it means he will have to, he, he will have to pay a penalty which is mentioned in the Quran as well. And of course, after four months, uh, the, the thing is that after the four months, um, the uh, judge will call him in and say, look, you have to decide now. You, you, you give a period of four months or let's say five or six months, whatever the amount of period is, four months will be the limit for him to decide what to do. Either he's going to keep this wife as a wife or he's going to divorce her. Okay, and if that is the case, he cannot carry on like that just by keeping her, uh, you know, hanging in uh, in suspension or you know, not not knowing where she, she's on or off. That will not be allowed. After four months, he will have to decide whether he wants to be with her or not. The qadi will actually force him to divorce this wife if he no longer wants her. All right. Um, of course, that is only if he has made an oath to this effect. He actually swore an oath to say this is what. And of course, this act is haram. A person shouldn't do that. Uh, and swear an oath like that and it will have consequences in this case it seems that they were just separated there was no oath really there was no official uh, swearing of an oath but they were just separated and they weren't intimate for a long period of time and there's still dowry and nafaqa that is outstanding in this case obviously the dowry and the nafaqa will never ever fall away it is always owing to the wife 
Okay, it's a debt which the husband will have to settle with her, whether he keeps her as a wife, whether he divorces her, it is something which he will be answerable for uh, in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, so I think he must be very careful as far as that is concerned. And in terms of the issue of uh, the judiciary not uh, proceeding as quickly as we would want them to, and of course, yes, these things can drag on sometimes a bit long, and they've got a long waiting list, and you know, you want closure, etc., etc. Uh, the procedure normally is like, uh, if the judiciary calls in this person, and he does not respond and there is ground for a separation that they would grant obviously the separation so I think you should put more pressure on them and say look I've been waiting for a very long time what do you expect me to do do you want me just to live in limbo like this where I don't know whether I'm on or off or, or, or off or, or what is the situation and I think you should uh, do whatever it takes to convince them that they need to come to some kind of decision as far as that is concerned because your life must obviously carry on uh, because unfortunately the husbands they do this sometimes they are spiteful they don't want to give the divorce they want to drag it as much longer as possible in order to cause uh, extra harm to the wife and so on and this is all things which goes against the deen of Islam Islam is a deen of compassion it's a deen that tries to remove harm from our lives it's a deen to facilitate for us easiness in our daily activities so uh, the husband must be obviously advised uh, towards this if he doesn't want the wife and he's been long away from her he should divorce her and if he doesn't want to then the judiciary if there is grounds for a fasakh and yes certainly if he didn't pay nafaka etc there will be grounds for a fasakh they should proceed and pressure should be applied there and say, said to them you know that we can't carry on like this it's been eight months already and uh, obviously I need to know where I'm standing so that I can carry on with my with my life so I think that is what should be done and uh, we hope inshallah that there will be some kind of a um, some kind of a relief for this woman because it must be a very difficult situation not knowing you know uh, what is happening in your life because you can't remarry also you're mm. still married you, you you're absolutely just in limbo having to wait for things to get done so hopefully inshallah that will be resolved sooner than later for you and for the other oh, for, Sheikh, for what would be the next steps for her to take now because she says there's there's the body that she went to that has attempted to um, contact her ex-husband uh, or her husband sorry and nothing has um, come from that and a um, fasakh hasn't been granted as well um, what would be her next steps? Because at the end of the day, she needs to go on with her life. Yeah, yeah. I, I, unfortunately, he's just disappeared or ignoring everything. Yeah, so like I said, uh, I, I would suggest that she, she goes back to the judiciary okay. and absolutely put pressure on them to say, look, mm. what do you want me to do? Do you, do you want me to do something which is haram? Or you know, do you want me to live in haram because I'm still married to this man mm. and he doesn't want to divorce me and there's no way we will reconcile? Because at the end of the day, they will be responsible. If they are yeah. neglecting their duty mm. of not doing the proper thing, they will obviously be uh, held accountable if they are not fulfilling that particular duty. So she should go there and obviously put uh, pressure on them to say that you know they are ultimately the, the ones that can guide her on this matter and they okay. should do that. Otherwise, it will perhaps lead to things which uh, everyone is going to regret at the later stage mm. where the deen of Allah Ta'ala will be obviously not uh, uh, followed in the way that it should be followed, uh, inshallah Ta'ala. Shukran, Sheikh. The, the next uh, is not a comment. Uh, sorry, it's not a question. It's just a comment on, on a show that we've done previously because yeah. um, there was this question mark about visiting a holiday resort. And I know the question was asked, you know, with regards to it being halal and staying there. But this... There was some misunderstanding or we didn't have all the in information, but somebody commented. And if you wish to research it and the person that asked the question, if this helps you, it says that Salam, everything at Sun City is generated from the casino. So that's it. Um, 
if you want to investigate it further, so be it. But our next question is, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Um, a boy says that he loves me and he made promises that he wants to marry me, but not being married yet, he wants me to expose my body to him, saying that I belong to him even though we're not married, yet, in, yet exposing as in pictures. Please give some knowledge onto this um, as before marriage. Is this allowed? Yeah, um, certainly. I mean, the first thing I want to say is you don't belong to him. Um, I think slavery is long over. No one belongs to anyone. Uh, so <laughs> that must be, just be clear in your mind. Don't let him try to uh, overpower you and manipulate you to say that you uh, are owned by him. You know, even if a person gets married to his wife, he doesn't own his wife. Mm. There's no such thing as ownership. Um, so that is wrong. You should uh, not fall for that. Uh, secondly, obviously, it is wrong for him to uh, want you to, to expose your body to him more than what the Sharia allows. Okay, what does the Sharia allow? The Sharia allows that if a person is serious about a woman and he is going to propose to her and he knows that uh, perhaps, you know, that there will be a good chance that that she will uh, obviously say yes or family will say yes, then in such a case the Sharia say you are allowed to look at her face and to look at her hands. Okay, that is the only parts that you are allowed to be uh, exposed to. Uh, nothing else of a body may be exposed to you, especially if you are not married, even if it is via pictures, etc. Et I, I would say uh, certainly no, you should not expose your body to mm. him because, uh, you know, um, it is just a, a, a an avenue for shaitan to creep in and, and to, to cause fitna and problems amongst the two of you. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if you if you uh, refrain from that and say to him, I'm not allowed to show you anything and I you don't owe me, f first of all, you don't own me. And secondly, mm. if you are really serious about uh, marrying me, and you want to me to do the right thing Then we will both follow what the deen wants us to do mm. And the deen allows me to show you my hands And to show you my face So that you are satisfied at least You know, uh, in terms of uh, who I am And my, my physical beauty Whatever there is of that mm. If you are satisfied with that And then that we can proceed from there But anything beyond that Should obviously not be allowed And it will just, uh, you know, like I said before It just takes away the barakah of everything You know, mm. once we overstep the line And we want to do certain things Which uh, for our own hawa and desires and things like that and we don't look at the sharia and the, the, the rulings that we should be following then of course we are just putting ourselves into difficulty mm. and afterwards we don't know why things are going wrong we don't know because Allah had removed, had removed the barakah from that situation because of um, us not wanting to to follow the, 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 the things that has been prescribed to us. So I think you should sit him down and say, look, um, uh, obviously we, you want to get married to me, you are serious about me, but if you are really serious, then we should follow what the dean wants us to do. And that is well, the only thing that uh, I can allow you is what I've mentioned and certainly nothing more than that. And in fact, it is sunnah for a person to get married uh, when he wants to get married to someone to go and look at the woman. Mm. It is sunnah. That is, uh, in fact, there were some of sahaba that uh, said to the Prophet ﷺ, you know, I want to get married to this woman. So the Nabi ﷺ said to him, did you look at her? And he said, no, I didn't. So he said, first go look at her. I mean, why, why do you want to get married and not look at her? You know, it doesn't make sense. So if she wears niqab, let's say she's even covered her face, she wears a veil, hmm. then you are allowed to, to ask her to open her face if you are hmm. wanting to That's marry her. Yeah. Because you, you obviously want to know what she looks like. That, that is obvious. I mean, you're not going to go into marriage with someone that you don't know what it looks like. 
uh, what she looks like. And, and the Prophet ﷺ actually said to this person, you know, go and look at her because it will, you know, the, it will be more effective for you. Mm. It will more, be, give you a better perspective and your marriage will be built on better grounds mm. if you at least know. So you can see the Sharia obviously do allow certain things, but they, once again, there is obviously parameters as well. We should not overstep those boundaries, else we will be putting ourselves into difficulty mm. uh, by not following what we are supposed to. And the, the outcome will, is always negative as far as that is concerned, because Allah is obviously not pleased with us as long as we are doing things which is displeasing to Him. I think this question brings about just a comment I'd like to add, and it's something that Sheikh has mentioned, you know, if it is that we understand and we know and we go and attend madrasa, just learning basic fiqh, I think uh, these sort of questions would be a general knowledge. So inshallah, all the best to this young lady, and I, I hope in all ways that she always protects in every way, she always protects herself and her chastity, not just for this gentleman but for in front of all other men. And inshallah to her, I pray that you go and seek the necessary knowledge to protect yourself inshallah. I mean, inshallah so uh, with that let's just take a short break and come back with more of your questions inshallah the voice of the Cape, pioneering 20 years in muslim radio my radio station your radio station our radio station Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Welcome back. This is Questions and Answers, where we ask, answer your question. With me is Sheikh Ibrahim Wurs, who's a resident imam at the Yusufiyah Masjid out in Weinberg. Shukran so much for staying with us, and we'll be with you right up until 7 o'clock, inshallah. Right, so the next question is, assalamu alaikum. Can a child inherit a house from a deceased father born out of wedlock? There are also other illegitimate children as well who did not inherit. Is this correct, Sheikh? Yeah, um, like I mentioned earlier on, uh, I made this point already that uh, when it comes to illegitimate relationships, um, there is no inheritance for illegitimate children in that way, uh, in the sense that they cannot get the fixed portion of what is normally given to children. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the father, who is now obviously not the legitimate father from a Sharia point of view, he was able to obviously write a wasiyah, you know, to say that they can get a third. Uh, up to one third of the estate and this goes for for anyone whether it's this particular child that is illegitimate or the others etc he is able to give up to one third for them but he cannot in this case it seems that he wants to give a house for one of the illegitimate children uh, whereas the others won't be getting anything hmm. and uh, maybe there's legitimate children that will also suffer because of this and if that is the case then it is obviously wrong hmm. you're not allowed to do that um, so the wasiya or the bequest that can be made for up to one third of one estate is something which is obviously uh, allowed in the sharia hmm. and then there's another thing that I can men- mention is and that is in a person's lifetime Let's say a person in his lifetime wants to dispose of his property in a certain way. Mm. He wants to give somebody to his neighbor, something to his friend, something, something to this illegitimate child. If he does so in his lifetime and he feels that is what he wants to do, then well, nobody can stop him as far as that is concerned because you are allowed to dispose of your wealth in any way you want. Right? As long as it is not a will that you are writing out that will take effect after you die. So um, in that case, if he feels, let's say the illegitimate son, uh, which he feels he wants to give the house to after he dies, let's say he feels that although he's an illegitimate son, this one worked with me hard and 
He was the only one that supported me. And this is often the case where uh, perhaps uh, it is a case of the one child working hard and being uh, along with the father, etc., etc. So uh, if that is the case, then in his lifetime, he is able to obviously say, well, I would like this to be given to this child and um, it can be signed over to that particular child and that will be permissible as long as it is not in the form of a will or inheritance uh, that is given after he dies. Shukran, Sheikh. All right, so the next question goes, Assalamu alaikum. Shukran for a very good program, Afwan. We'd like to know, does a, do, you, do I need permission if, a, if I want to get married, was married before, and I don't have parents, only a stepmom that I take care of? Shukran. Now, of course, uh, no permission is needed from anyone, especially if you had been married before. Um, uh, you don't need uh, anyone to uh, verify for you or to uh, sort of guide you as far as that is concerned. Um, so you make your own choices. Uh, you've got the experience. Um, so, so no one can force you to get married or disallow you to get married, etc. Uh, however, you still need a wakil or someone to, to obviously marry you because you can't marry yourself. So you still need a wali to represent you. Okay, that is the best way I can put it, to represent you. And the, 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 the duty of the wali is not to make choices for you or to steer you in a particular direction, etc. But the wali is only a representative of you, uh, marrying you to the spouse that you would wish to get married to. And so um, whatever spouse you feel is, is suitable for you, um, they, of course, uh, will fall in line and they will also then stand in for you as far as that is concerned. So, yes, uh, it's just in a nutshell, um, uh, this no one's permission that is needed however of course it is always good to speak to your family about it even if it's your stepmother that you are mentioning here don't get married without her knowledge or without her you know at least being part of it because that always is something good you know you always want to be inclusive when it comes to these things we don't only want to do things so while the sharia says you don't need permission from a moral point of view it's only right that you speak to your stepmom that you are looking after uh, and if you have brothers and so on you speak to them and, and at least approach the subject with them and say look uh, I've got this uh, feeling for this person we've met each other and we seems to be uh, clicking with each other and it is a good uh, match for me and I would like to get married to him um, and then of course uh, your wakil or the one that will stand for you will either be your brother or if the brothers are not there your uncles etc whoever is then in line uh, of the uh, guardianship and so they they will basically just represent you that is all it's not a matter of telling you yes or no it's a matter of representation especially if you had been married before and this is something which has been clearly uh, identified in the hadith of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam where the nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam says that the non-virgin woman she's got more right over herself than anyone else because mm. she's got that experience she knows what it's about um, so yes she doesn't need that uh, only somebody to stand there for her and marry her to this person shukran sheikh Right, so um, the next question reads as follows. Assalamu alaikum. Shukran for the informative program, alhamdulillah. What about Mendy patterns for the bride? And I think this comes from a question that we maybe dealt with earlier on. So it's just an addition 
to a discussion that we had, Sheikh. Yeah, uh, I don't recall, uh, you know, when we had that discussion, but I'm sure it must have come um, up. Yeah. But anyway, uh, the the issue is uh, with regards to uh, you know the hina that we know the hina, mm-hmm. uh, the Arabic word obviously is hina or the mendi. Yeah, is it allowed? Yes, it is allowed for women. Um, obviously, there is a, um, a justification for a woman to to put hina on her nails, on her hands, etc. Especially when she uh, the Sharia recommend, let's say, when she's in a haram, for example, it's sunnah to do it. And so on, and uh, this I actually came across also a, a hadith where the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam one day, you know, was speaking to a woman. And uh, he actually told her, you know, to, to put henna on her hands so that uh, her hand should not be the same as a male's, you know, uh, at least to distinguish it from a male's uh, features, and etc. And uh, so, so obviously it's part of, of a human and uh, the hands are normally exposed, as we know, um, even in salah, even in ihram and so on, the hands are normally exposed. So if it had to have uh, some henna on, on the hands, on the nails, etc., there is no issue as far as that is concerned it is something allowed for women as it is part of their obviously beautification and part of their uh, makeup if you like in that sense uh, which would be allowed uh, for them to to wear that's why i said in the books of fiqh they clearly say if, if she goes on ihara, in ihram for mm-hmm. umrah and hajj it is recommended actually that she does that mm-hmm. okay which shows that it is something that is absolutely permissible in Islam, inshallah. Inshallah. Shukran, Sheikh. And um, let's continue with some of your questions after the short break, our last segment, so don't go anywhere. Back in a moment. Hayran Yisa David's attorney specializes in drafting of wills, including Sharia-compliant wills, the administration of deceased estates, transfers of fixed properties, registration of bonds, all four major banks, creation of trusts, specialized commercial law, and sequestration applications. Nisa David's attorneys is an ex-employee of the Master of the High Court, has vast experience in finalization of deceased estates and dealing with the most complex estates. Easy accessible premises situated on the corner of Garfield and Alamin Roads, Claremont, off Imam Haroon Road near Kenilworth Centre. Contact us in 021-683-7437. Nisa David's attorneys. Is your debt spiraling out of control? Have you skipped payments and cannot catch up? Are you receiving continuous SMSs and phone calls demanding payments? With just one installment a month, your debt friend will guide you along the path to financial freedom. Apply for debt counseling today and let a debt counselor negotiate on your behalf. Call your debt friend today on 021-593-0600 or SMS help to 061-420-3636. That's 061-420-3636. Free your debt the easy way with your debt friend. Live from Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Last few minutes of questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Wiss. And the last question is just to latch on to a previous question um, with regards to a woman who dies who had not left a will, but who would then be, um, who would, would then be responsible for rectifying this will? 
that is good character. And the reason for that is so that um, we know that sometimes things may be seen that is maybe not good or that is untoward. But at least if a person is upright and morally uh, a righteous person, he will not talk out, he will not go and speak about secrets that he has seen or things that is untoward, etc. So in this case, uh, I don't know what the benefit would be to have a non-Muslim present, okay, especially someone that may not understand, etc. The only thing that could possibly is maybe to know, you know, maybe the person wants to know how is it done as far as our deen is concerned. So if it is maybe for the purposes of da'wah or that, I would say only if it is really necessary. You know, because there is obviously other ways in which we can also show him how the husl is done without actually being present there. Right? There's uh, videos nowadays that is out that, that shows how it is done, etc. So when it comes to the deceased, uh, we must be careful. The deceased must be protected at all times. We should never have somebody in the room that we know is going to talk out or that's going to uh, cause fitna afterwards, etc. The person that you choose is to wash the mayyid, make sure he's a salih man, a person that is of deen, uh, upright in terms of his deen, etc. And no unnecessary people must be in the room in any case. Like I said, just the person who washes and his assistant be it one or two assistants, and also maybe one family member that can just also give them whatever they need in the house. There may be certain things that is required, and so that is the minimal they should be known. So I would not recommend other people to be in the room as far as uh, the procedure of the ghusl is concerned. Shukran, Sheikh, and unfortunately we have to leave it there. Jazakallah khair uh, once again to Sheikh Ibrahim Wurst, who has afforded us his time and expertise on the topics that uh, has come about in this edition of Questions and Answers. And to you for staying tuned, and um, we'll see you again next week, same time, same place, six, between 6 and 7 every Saturday evening. Uh, Sheikh, uh, shukran once again, and salama travel back home. Jazakumullah khairan to you, Sister Hawa, and to all our listeners, inshallah. May Allah Ta'ala protect you for the next week. Until we meet again, wassalam. That was the voice of Sheikh Ibrahim Wiz. Join him again next week, same time, same place, the same with you as well. We'll meet up again on Saturday between 6 and 7. Ashukran so much for your questions and your patience as we continue with more of that in next week's show. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and a very good evening to you.